Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day, moms. How many of you like to plant flowers, gardens, trees, bushes, grass? I mean, how many of you like to plant something? Come on, that's a little weak. We play a lot of landscapers if this is the case. So yeah, I, I thought there'd be more hands there with a little prodding there. This, uh, this time of year, we always like to plant a garden because we like to eat the things that grow in it. Uh, we like the tomatoes, the cucumbers, the zucchinis, and so forth. But, you know, over the years of all the gardens we've had, we've never been able, we've never been successful at growing tomatoes like my mother grows tomatoes. My mom's here today, and she's over here. And I, here's an example of, like, just look at the... Now, truthfully, this is not one of hers, but... <laughs> But I'm not joking. I've seen tomatoes that she's grown. They're almost as big. I mean, it's, she's grown huge tomatoes, and they're beautiful like that, and we've never been successful at anything quite like that. Um, we've grown a lot of them at times, but never anything giant like that, which she's capable of doing. And you know what my mom's secret is? You know what the, like, the secret sauce really is uh, to this? It's the soil that makes the difference. I mean, it really does. It's not, it's not me or her or you. It's the soil is really what it is. Soil conditions everything when it comes to vegetable growth and productivity. And we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus tells us that the soil condition of the heart has everything to do with goodness and godliness and spirituality and growth and so forth. And this morning we're going to listen uh, to some of what Jesus has to say about all of this. If you have your Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 13. It's the passage that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, we're, we're beginning a new series today. It's a brief series, but it's, uh, for the next three weeks we're going to be talking about spiritual landscaping tips, uh, really from Jesus, because all of this is insight from him. Lived in an agricultural society, he did. Uh, Kansas used to be that kind of thing, and it still is to some degree, but not like it used to be. And uh, it's just good for us to understand some of the wisdom and insight that can be ours spiritually from an um, agricultural worldview, from a landscaping worldview. And so we're going to look at these, uh, some of these passages this week, next week, and the week after. Matthew chapter 13 today is where we're going to start. we start with verse 1. If you have your Bible, follow along with me there. If you don't have one, you can follow along on the screen uh, beside me here. Later that same day, the Bible says, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. Now, let me just pause. How many of you like to sit beside a lake? This is a nice time of year to do that. So he's sitting beside the lake. A crowd, a large crowd, the Bible says, soon gathered around him because a whole lot of people like to sit by the lake and sit near him. So he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. And he told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across the, his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the sun and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil. They produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. And then Jesus summarized this like he did many of his parables. Anyone with ears to hear should listen 
and understand. It's kind of his way of saying, think about this. Think deeply about this. This is, this is about more than just gardening, plant, you know, planting grass seed or whatever. It's more than just this. If you read on in verses 10 through 17, Jesus goes on, has a little discussion about parables and, and what they're for and how often he's going to use them and why and so forth. And then he picks up in verse 18 where he explains the parable that he just gave. And it's important that we read this. So pick up with me at verse 18. Jesus says, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. Let me just pause. He kind of does this because he's trying to highlight for his disciples how parables work. You take something of a physical nature and then you kind of draw out of it a spiritual truth, a spiritual uh, implication of that. So that's what he's doing here. I just want, I want a spot like that because as you read not just this parable but others that he does, that's what he does. Let me just say this, spiritual dreams, same thing, operate the exact same way. It's like God giving you a, a, a parable with insights that can be derived from that. And you use the same principles to understand a spiritual dream as you would a parable that's told like this. A lot more we could say about that, but I just want to plant that seed out there, have you reflect on that and ponder this. But let's pick up here again at chapter 13, verse 18. Listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds, Jesus says. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the one who comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. And he's talking all about spiritual growth here. And there are aspects to spiritual growth that are a mystery to all of us. I mean, we could, we could highlight various things related to that. But in this parable, Jesus pulls the veil back on one of the primary determiners of a person's spiritual, uh, spiritual growth. And it's all about the soil condition of your heart and mine. Spiritual growth is intrinsically, inseparably tied to soil condition in your heart and mine. To become sincerely good and godly, to grow large hearts that are full of love and virtue, to become people who are Christ-like, even when it's not easy, we've got to prepare the soil of our hearts. And interestingly enough, as Jesus is describing soil conditions here, he, he hints at how to do this in a parabolic way. He, he, he highlights for us how to grow in this area. So for the next few minutes, we're going to have to reflect together on what you and I can do with the Holy Spirit's help, of course, to improve the soil condition in our hearts so spiritual growth will occur more rapidly, more naturally, so that goodness becomes more reflexive for us. And um, if you'll listen to what Jesus says, 
I think uh, put it into practice. I think in due time, you'll see God work in ways that maybe you didn't expect. There are three actions that you and I need to take to prepare the soil of our hearts. They're implied in Jesus' teaching here. Three actions if we're going to become truly good and godly like he is. And I'm going to highlight those real quickly. The first one is we need to aggressively remove hard-heartedness. We need to aggressively remove hard-heartedness. I want you to listen again to the words of Jesus. Look at verse 4 in your text. Jesus says this, describing the farmer, as he scattered the seed across his field, some seeds fell where? What's it say? On a footpath. And the birds came and ate them. Now, I want you to think about this with me for a moment. And I'm hoping that as we go through this, this will help you think in terms not just of this parable, but others. What is the nature of a heavily traveled footpath? It's hard. I mean, the soil is compacted, right? What grows in a footpath? Not much. If anything grows, it's like a really hardy weed, right? A really strong one. But basically on a footpath, it gets traveled a lot. It gets trampled down. We've got, we've got ruts in our driveway. We have this one little part of our driveway where uh, our son Josh, he has this habit of, part, of pulling in and driving across our grass into this spot. What do you think the grass looks like right there? It's lame, right? It's like pretty beat up. This is, this is what happens to a footpath. It's, it's compacted, hardened soil. Now here's the thing. Jesus is saying our souls will remain hard and impenetrable spiritually like a footpath unless and until the message of God's kingdom eventually is planted and takes root in our hearts. Like a footpath, nothing's going to happen until the Word of God gets from here into here. So here's my question for you. What's preventing this book right here from penetrating the soil of your heart more? What, what's holding it back? What's the obstacle between it and a softer heart inside of you, the soil of your spiritual life? So I was reflecting and praying about this uh, this week. One word kept coming to my mind. Here's the word. Schedule. As I sat and reflected on that, I thought about that. I thought, how many of us have schedules that are impenetrable? You know, the sign of somebody who gets things done in our day is that they got a schedule and I keep that schedule. And when it says I'm going to be somewhere because I set the schedule, say, and so I'm going to be where I say I'm going to be. And I've got a commitment. I'm going to keep that. And inflexibility with our schedule has consequences when it comes to spiritual things. If you don't have some flexibility in your schedule... How are you going to get this book inside of you? Some of us need to add this to our schedule. Well, some of us say, well, I've got this and this and this and this. I'd say, well, you're doing too much. If you don't have room for this, there's something in your life that needs to change and probably go away. Something that's maybe good, but of lesser value. Because here's the thing. We can keep trying harder to be good, to be like Jesus, to be humble, to be loving, to be kind, to be others-centered. We can try this all day long. We can, we can devote ourselves to it. We can recommit. We can we do all that. But if the soil of our heart is impenetrable, 
this book, because of our schedule, then change is going to be, it's going to be elusive. I was also thinking about it, and the other thought that came to mind is I was thinking about what prevents this book, the seed, the soil conditioner of all of God's wisdom and blessing that he wants to bring into our lives. What's the other thing that keeps us from, from being more transformed by this book, keeping our hearts hard? And the other thought that went through my mind was it just like the, the level of unbelief that we and our culture tends to tolerate on a daily basis. What do I mean by that? There are things that you and I believe about God, things that we believe about creation, things that we believe about Jesus, things that we believe about our world that run contrary to what Scripture teaches. And we know it runs contrary to what we think to what this book says. But what do we do? Because of our schedule, we don't take time to really wrestle that incongruity to the mat and really figure out, am I wrong? Am I not understanding something? What can I learn? What, can I, what am I missing? And when you and, I, when you and I tolerate levels of unbelief in our heart, what ends up happening is that we just grow... We grow cold over time to this. And our hearts become impenetrable to what God wants to do. We need more of this. We need to wrestle these kinds of things to the mat so that we can, can the soil of our souls becomes softer. So something that's planted actually goes in. It doesn't just lay on the surface. Because when it lays on the surface, what's Jesus saying in the text? The evil one just comes away, it comes along, snatches that one away, and here's another seed, I'll take that one away. And he just distracts us and we go on our way and we just kind of begin to, over time, think, well, the problem's with God. He's not hearing me. He's not, no, no. The problem's right here. Now, here's the thing. You know why I understand this? Partly because Jesus says it here, but partly because it happens to every one of us. Every one of us kind of moves between hard and soft heart over the course of time. What are you going to do about that? What will you do with the Holy Spirit's help? This book, it's the seed, the soil conditioner of all of God's wisdom and blessing. Give it place in your heart so that you can grow, so you can encounter more of God, so you can understand spiritual things more fully, so that you can learn increasingly to love God and love others like Jesus does. We've got to aggressively remove hard-heartedness. And part of that is just taking time for this book. There's a second action in the text that's implied in what Jesus has to say here. If we're going to grow and improve the, the soil condition of our hearts, we've got to intentionally correct superficial spirituality. We've got to intentionally correct superficial spirituality. Look at the verses, or listen to the words of Jesus again. Verses 5 and 6, he describes this farmer and the seed that he's planting this way. He says, other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was what? What's he say? Shallow because the soil was shallow. But the plant, and the plants soon wilted under the hot sun since they didn't have deep roots. They died. 
he goes on to explain what he means. And, you know, seeing his rhythm here, I think you can kind of see where he's going with this. But verse 20, he goes on and explains, The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. I mean, they're excited about it. But since they don't have deep roots, he could have said it another way, since they have shallow faith, shallow soil within, a thin layer of it, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. It's important that we hear part of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that superficial, shallow faith is a threat to you or my spiritual well-being. In our day, we live in a superficial, shallow culture, do we not? We don't want to be considered fanatics, right? Here's the thing. There are consequences for a superficial, shallow faith. Might not be a consequence for some other areas of superficiality in your life. But when it comes to, to spirituality, goodness, godliness, shallow roots have consequences. Do you know what will give you and me deep spiritual roots? Just as a reminder for those of you who weren't able to be here last week, we talked about it last week. Uh, remember when we talked about the wheel? I want to see the wheel again if uh, we can. I want you to look at this again. If you missed this last week, if this is just a good visual, I, I thought, for, uh, for you know, what it is to live an obedient, mature, rooted kind of Christian life. You've got the Word of God, which we've already talked a little bit about. You're, you're ingesting that routinely in your life. You're just sort of tilling it into the soil of your soul on a regular basis. You're engaged in a prayer life, which is the vertical spoke of this, of this wheel, because this is all about you and your connection continually with God. In this constant conversation and dialogue with God, where you're communicating with Him what's going on inside of your heart, you know, the gaps, the struggles, the, the joys, all of the aspects of spiritual life, you're communicating with Him. But it's also a place where, because you have the time set aside, it's opportunity for Him to, to download into your soul insights, ideas, thoughts, uh, guidance and direction that only the Holy Spirit can bring into your life. Maybe, he's a, maybe it's a question that he'll bring to you in your prayer time that you just, you'll wrestle with and you'll think, wow, where did that come from? Well, it, the Holy Spirit does that in the life of a believer if you set aside the time for an integrated, consistent prayer life. And the whole fellowship spoke of this. is all about, the, you think of the cross. I mean, you get the horizontal arms of the cross. It's all about, you know, the, the one arm of the fellowship where you're building relationships with some other believers who are building into you and you're helping them walk in authenticity with God and they're helping you do that. And there's just, you know... Whether it's in a life group or a men's group or a women's group or a, a student group or some other kind of group. Maybe it's just an accountability relationship because you can't figure out because you schedule how to do a lot, uh, one of these groups. So you, you build an accountability relationship with someone and, you get to, someone and you get together with them on a regular basis. And you're just praying for each other, challenging each other, you know, confessing uh, shortcomings to each other. You, you see what I'm saying? It's like this fellowship thing. It's so... I would venture to say that there are many Christians, this is not even a stretch. I mean, there are many Christians who don't have anybody in their life other than a spouse, maybe, that they're sincere and honest and open about the spiritual life with. Some of us aren't even that way with our spouses. That is not going to work well for you. Not for any of us. 
We've got to expand our, our relational network beyond that. It's part of being rooted. And life's problems were not meant to be faced alone. We need these relationships. The witnessing arm of this, it's a key component. Some of us let this slide as though it's, in a, as though it's like this is for the spiritual overachievers among us. You know, those who really want to look good with God, I mean, these are the people who talk about their faith. They're the fanatics. This is how we think to ourselves. But the truth of the matter is, when you talk publicly, Jesus says, you know, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. What's he talking about? He's talking about owning up to the fact that you're my follower. You're my son. You're my daughter. I'm your Savior. Our, our faith has to become more public. I mean, look at the screwed upness of our world. It's because Christians have been private about their faith. How's that worked out for us? Not very well. We can't change all of that, but you and I can change it as it pertains to our sphere of relationships. And, and here's, what, here's what I think this is talking about. It's, it's not that you have to hammer people. You just have to be real. And like acknowledge that you know Jesus. Acknowledge that you come to church. Acknowledge that, you come to, that you're in a small group. And with the Holy Spirit's prompting as the opportunity presents itself, invite people to come with you. Pray for people who have needs around you. Don't just say you'll do it. Ask them, say, would it be okay if I paused and prayed for you about that? You will fry their circuits, and I know I fried some of yours just saying that. Because some of you, you're scared to death to pray in a small group with other believers. How are you going to pray with somebody who has a need who's not a believer? Do you see the problem we have here? It's like, if our faith is not public enough that I can pray with somebody who's already convinced, how on earth am I ever going to speak authentically about my faith to somebody who's not convinced? This is a problem. Address it. Work at it. Understand that in this circle, we don't care if you fumble the ball in a prayer. Most of us aren't even going to know. Ever. Because what is prayer? Prayer is me talking to God. And sharing my faith is just me talking about God to the people that I come in contact with day in and day out. And here's what happens. You say, well, if I, if I share my faith, what happens? Somebody's going to ask me a question. This is how this relates to growing deeper in your faith. You are right. Somebody's going to ask you a question you don't know the answer to. You know what you say? That's a good question. Let me think about that. And then you go, what do you do? You pull this book out. You sit down with somebody who's in your group. And you say, I was asked this question this week. Or if it stumps all of you. You call one of us in the office, or you can, I mean, there's a bazillion pastors and teachers online anymore who are good and godly. I mean, there are many that are wackos, but there, I mean, there's, there, there's just so many resources now that this should never be an excuse. But here's what happens when you and I start sharing our faith and being public about our faith. The consequence of that is going to be we're going to, it will stretch us in ways that nothing else will, and it will force depth of growth in you and in me. It will transform the soil of our souls. Your roots will grow down. They will. In ways that will never happen if you never talk about your faith. 
Just, just remember the wheel. And Christ, of course, is at the center. Jesus, this is really, really important because Jesus says, in this world, John 16, 33, you're going to have troubles. You're going to have trials, tribulations, he says. It's interesting because in that verse, he doesn't say you might. He says emphatically, you will. Tells his disciples then, his disciples now. You're going to have troubles. And it's so important that our roots go down deep enough that when those troubles come, when they heat on, when you're in a drought spiritually, there are roots that go deep. It's God's dream for your life. It's his plan for your life. So what rocks, what obstacles to prayer and developing some Christian friendships and sharing your faith? What, what are the obstacles in your life keeping you from that? Could one of them be schedule? Could be. And again, how important is flexibility in that respect? It's very important integrally tied to spiritual development and growth. To improve the soil condition of our hearts is the third action that we need to take that sort of Jesus is alluding to here in the text, and it's that we need to diligently watch for entangled spirituality. Look at verse 7 with me. Jesus, sticking with the farmer planting seeds, says, Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender Plants Just choked them out. He explains what he means, verse 22 of Matthew 13. He says, The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out. Think back to the other word. Choked out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. What's interesting to me here is that the life of the plant may not die, but what dies? Fruitfulness. Sort of choked out. You ever seen a garden that's getting crowded out by weeds? Here, here's one that uh, I ran across. It's kind of a lot of really good produce is going to grow in that garden, huh? <laughs> Last year, you remember when uh, Laura and I, we went on vacation, we came home and we had, had water damage in our kitchen and our basement. Those of you who've been around, you know that. And uh, it's a lovely way to return from vacation and major water damage. And uh, it had been raining in the basement, you know, large quantities of water. Our whole kitchen was wrecked. It was a disaster. We had a lovely garden when we left. But it, this isn't my garden, but it looked a lot like that after a little while because we came home and... The worries of life, putting our kitchen back together, putting our basement back together, etc., choked out the opportunity to get out here and take care of the garden at all. And consequently, we had all kinds of fruit dying on the vine. I, it was killing me. You know, a couple times I ran out there fighting off snakes and other vipers, cobras that lived in our... <laughs> That's what it felt like because the grass was so high. I just thought I could, you know, so I didn't dare go in there without a hoe. 
and uh, and a sharp one at that. So I, you know, I'd go in there and I'd you know pull a tomato or you know before all the cucumbers died, I'd grab a couple of those. And we'd do this periodically. But the fact is, I mean, it just wasn't it wasn't a good gardening experience last year. Kind of left a bad taste in our mouths. But Jesus is comparing the worries of life, the lure of wealth, to thorns and weeds that can choke the spiritual life right out of you or me. And he's saying we need to watch for that. That's a bad place to be. Don't let the thorns, don't let, don't let the worries of life, the deceitfulness of riches, wealth, as some of the translations say. Don't let those deceive you into thinking that you can live for God and live for this world at the same time. The truth of the matter is we need to live for God. And if we seek him first, what happens? God God will provide all the other things we need in our life. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6. And Jesus goes on and he's really conveying this idea here to us, I believe, that whenever we see the entanglements of life encroaching on our souls and hardening the, the soil of our soul and threatening the fruit of his presence in our lives... I mean, we need to turn to Scripture. We need to turn to friends. We need to turn to this place. We need to turn to Him. Because His plan is not for goodness and godliness to be choked out of us. His plan is for us to become good and godly. And if we'll turn to Him in that way, the result's going to be the soil condition of our hearts will improve. And when that begins to happen, Jesus says an interesting thing in Matthew 13, 23. He says, we'll truly hear... And will understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. Fruitfulness is a byproduct of taking the soil condition of our souls seriously. And that's what Jesus wants for every single one of us. My question this morning for you is what action is maybe the Holy Spirit prompting you to take this morning as it pertains to the soil condition of your soul? Is there anything that needs to change about how you're doing life or your priorities? Is there anything about your schedule that needs to be different? Is there some aspect of unbelief in your life that God is saying to you, um, you need to stop playing with that and you need to slay it. You need to figure it out. With this book and maybe the counsel of somebody else who's been there and done that, Maybe the Holy Spirit's prompting you in some other area of your life. You need to do some weeding. You need to reprioritize some things. I want to show you the state of my garden at the moment as we wrap up here. This is what it looks like right now. That's ugly. As you can see, I mean, with it going from winter to summer and various other things we've had going on in our lives right now, other of world's priorities. You know, it's kind of like, I, you know, this is what our garden looks like right now. And um, we still intend to have a garden. We're maybe not going to fill that whole thing. We're going to put a few less plants in it, a few uh, fewer things. But this is what's left over from last year's catastrophe. And um, as you can see, I got a whole lot of soil preparation to do before I can plant anything. And I guess my, what I want you to think about is what's, what kind of soil condition have you got? And is there anything that God's saying you need to do? What do you need to do spiritually? And have you invited Jesus 
into your life to help you. He's the one with the green thumb, spiritually speaking. Be invited him in. I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me. We're going to close in prayer this morning. And I'm glad that you've made it. Hope you'll reflect on all of this and do more than just have ears to hear what he said, but that you'll actually do what he said because that is the path to growth and life and health and Christ-likeness. So, Mom's glad you're here today on your way out. We've got a little gift for you. Hope you'll grab that. Uh, also, if you need prayer for anything in, in specific this morning, we'll hang around afterwards. But uh, glad you made it here. Hope you'll reflect on all this growing godliness together, okay? Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for uh, your kindness, your mercy. We thank you for your wisdom that's found in Scripture, how you pull the veil back on things that would otherwise elude us or we'd spend a whole lot of time debating on it and not make any progress. We'd just debate. But you make it clear in your word, Lord Jesus, that we've got to pay attention to the soil condition of our souls. Would you help us to do that? Help us to take practical, tangible steps toward you this day, this week, that we might become more loving like you, we might become more gentle and kind and patient, more others-centered, less self-centered, that we might reflect your goodness in the world in which we live, even when it's not easy that the courage quotient about our faith inside of us would rise and increase. Pray for that. Help us to that end. We promise to give you credit for every good fruit that is born from our lives because of you. Go with us now, Father. May you bless our families, our moms, all of us as we walk in your ways. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.